Over the course of the past couple of weeks, we have been following the life of Jesus and his early ministry according to Luke's gospel. Today, we're gonna continue in the gospel of Luke and for the upcoming weeks, we will turn our attention to Jesus's Sermon on the Plain as found in Luke chapter six. We're gonna begin looking at what the kingdom of heaven looks like as it is here and now. Many of you are probably more familiar with the passage as it is titled the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew's gospel. However, the gospel writer Luke sets up the story of Jesus's sermon as taking place on a level ground, a plain. And I think it's incredibly fitting to title the sermon as such, taking place on a level ground because Luke continually pushes this theme of the kingdom being here and now. He continually emphasizes that this kingdom is a great leveling of the playing field for society. Luke makes the point that Jesus has come to bring a great reversal of society. Where the Old Testament prophesied of a great king coming, Jesus did not fit the build of who was promised. A great king coming in the form of a baby, what? Your majesty being born in a feeding trough for animals, huh? This king is not born into a family of royalty or riches, but rather this father of of Jesus is Joseph, a carpenter, and his mother, a virgin, unmarried, but yet carrying him in the womb anyways. How much more could this paint a picture of someone born in the lowest of society? How can a king come from all of this? How radical and unprecedented is this? Well, we find time and time again in Luke's gospel that this king of whom we have been waiting for is not of this world. He does not fit the mold as an expected king should be. He does not come to proclaim news for those who follow society's standards. Instead, he comes to bring about a great reversal of what society has always been. He has brought good news to the captives. He has come to save all, including the lost, the poor, the destitute, sick, homeless, and all others who come from the lowest part of the societal pyramid. He has not come just for the wealthy whose lives are cared for and they have resources at their fingertips. Instead, he has come for all. Christ has come to set the grand leveling of the playing field of society. He has come to elevate the poor and the destitute, the lonely and the sick and the impoverished. He has also come to bring down the hierarchy of the wealthy, resourced, and mighty. No longer will there be oppression for those of which whom have nothing. So far, Jesus has already pronounced the kingdom is at hand. It is here, now. No longer must you wait for it. The one who was said to come, who was prophesied to come, has now arrived. Jesus Christ is the Messiah of which we've been waiting for. He is here, now. The time has come, now. The kingdom of God is at hand, now. Jesus has already gathered his disciples in this last chapter of which we talked about last week. Those who will walk with him through the journey in ministry, getting the firsthand experience of life in the kingdom here on earth, and what it means to be proclaimers of that kingdom. 
Today's gospel text begins with a lengthy sermon or teaching on what it means to be a disciple of the kingdom, a disciple of the king, what it means to belong to kingdom life and what that kingdom life is really like and how it's available here and now. The disciples are learning firsthand, first time, of what it means for this new job role. We begin to learn what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. We receive clear do's and do nots of, the living, of living the life of the kingdom. We begin to understand the stark difference of life in the kingdom of heaven against what life is in this world. I would love for you to stand with me as you are able. We're gonna read from Luke chapter six in respect of the word today. Standing with me, Luke chapter six. We're beginning in verse 17 and continuing to verse 26. Luke six, verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their disease. These troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how your ancestors treated the prophets. But woe, woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. The word of the Lord, and we as the people of God say thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I've officially been a part of this church for a whole month, four weeks. It's felt like the days have been so incredibly long. There's been so much learning, all the ins and the outs. I'll be honest, I took two hour naps for the first two weeks here. Trust me, I told Pastor Dan already. <laughs> there has been so much to learn. So many things that I didn't know previously. And yes, I've ministered in different contexts of other churches before. Yes, I've been on staff at another church before, but this church has a lot to it, a lot to learn. So the days have been long, but the weeks, they've flown by. As I was writing this, I said, no, it can't be a month already. I just got here. It's been a joy to be here, to be learning. I've been excited to meet new faces. I got really excited when I said, good morning, Raquel, and I remembered her name. Of course, I think she's in catechism now, so. But as I was preparing for today's sermon, I couldn't help but think what the 12 apostles might be thinking as they listened to Jesus's preaching about these things. It wasn't just but a verse or two earlier where they had dropped their nets and they began this whole new life. 
something of which they knew nothing about. They'd never done this before. It's a whole new career. I imagine that they probably would have had moments like I had had in this past month where I had to just breathe, take a moment, process everything before you could take any more information in. Like when I was walking in the McLean building, trying to get from the basement up to the third floor, hoping that I remembered how I got there to try and find my way back down. And like when I was trying to remember how to pull out the, the breaker, flip the breaker switch to turn the emergency lights back on, and every breaker is different in that building in case you wanted to know, so don't mess it up. And I couldn't remember for the life of me how many times in a year we're supposed to change and fix that and make sure that it's working. If it's six months, if it's 12 months, I don't know, Rick's gonna tell me again on Monday. But learning all of these things about facilities, it's something completely brand new to me. Rick has been extremely gracious to me and Pastor Dan has been extremely gracious to me in helping me slowly but surely understand what needs to be learned so that I can succeed in doing this job correctly so that we can continue to work on this property, work for the kingdom, and we can serve it well. That which we've been entrusted, may we serve the Lord with. I can only imagine that the disciples may have been overwhelmed too at moments. Not sure how to process all of this new information, this new type of career of which they have now entered. Before, they dealt with animals, fish, nets, boats, water, weather currents. But now, they're dealing with people, needs, emotions, physical ailments, and this man named Jesus who's talking about Lord knows how, what. It must have been a lot to process. So given all of that, this is partly why we too are going to take a couple of weeks to talk about this sermon. Because there's a lot to be understood about the kingdom of heaven. What it's like, how people are to participate in this kingdom life, how to act, and how not to act. What kind of character we are to possess and how to change from the way we were to be more like Christ. All of this is new. It's completely opposite to what people listening had ever known. So we could find ourselves asking at this moment, what do you mean that you are blessed when you are poor? What in the world do you mean woe is you who are rich? Does this mean that I shouldn't have money at all? Does it mean that it was wrong of me to have gotten into a field of study and a career that happens to make a lucrative amount of money? Am I in trouble? To be sure, at the surface, it looks like that. But the heart of it comes down to how the society functions. What do you do with that of which you've been entrusted? Those who typically had a lot of money, they did not spend it on the poor. They did not give it away. Instead, they would hoard it for themselves. Stay far away in their stone castles, ignoring those of whom were suffering. My husband shared with me this week about a news story that he had listened to in preparing for the Super Bowl today that those living in the Los Angeles area were working hard to strip away the homeless camps from the area surrounding the football stadium that they didn't want to bother the tourists that were coming into the area. They wanted the area to look nice and respectable. They didn't want anything to be uncomfortable for those spectators coming in. The wealthy, those who spent a lot of money on tickets, they didn't want them to have to walk past the homeless, 
the beggars, those that lived in their clothes for three months at a time. Mind you, it's not relocating the people to a home that they were looking to do. The police force was tasked to just rid the camps. Go ahead and take everything and throw it out. Push the people out of this home, out of this community of which they've established themselves because they had nowhere else. They were pushing these people out of the encampment for the sake of making the place to be perceived as different than it really is, just for the Super Bowl event. For the sheer purpose of making the event more enjoyable for those who are rich, enough to afford being at the event. To hide the growing crisis of people living on the streets to hide the reality of life as a way of making it easier to avoid the poor, easier to ignore suffering. What does this say about how we in society value people? What does it say about how we value the poor or the destitute? What does it say about what we value and who we value? What would Jesus have said about this? Would he have offered a different solution? Based on this text right here, I would say absolutely. It's not about whether we have money or not. It's, not about the it's more about the type of lifestyle of which we live, how we treat others around us. It's about the culture in which we take part in. It's about whether we participate in the suppression of the less fortunate than us, or if we desire to reach out and help the one in need. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, for you have great value in the eyes of God. Jesus declared, blessed then, not the poor, but the destitute. Not poverty, but beggary. God's blessings do not fall on the poor simply because they are poor. The utterly reviled, the expendable of the human race, the wretched of the earth, they are the ones who are favored and offered blessing from the king. Precious are you refugees, you undocumented immigrants living in this foreign land, unable to receive assistance like others who are poor, for fear of being deported back to your home, of which you will simply be murdered for your religious beliefs. The eyes of the Lord are upon you. You are seen. You are loved. You are favored. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who have received your consolation already. What sorrow and judgment awaits you who hoard your riches and accomplishments for your own righteous image, caring not about how you got there, how many toes you may have stepped on intentionally or unintentionally just to climb the corporate ladder. You have certainly received your consolation prize already. Great sadness is found in the eyes of God for those who remain well off those who are full, self-satisfied. God does not take kindly to half-heartedness. God does not bless us as we maintain this status quo, reaping the accolades of those who hear us and follow us. God does not bathe us in respectability in the eyes of the world. He does not bless us for that. 
God does not bless us when we quietly maintain tradition and gloss over, or dare I say, ignore prophetic voices calling us back to God in the church from the world. God does not bless us as we protect and build institutions and empires. God does not bless us who are well off, who are full and comfortable and hearty and well spoken of if we do not care for others, if we do not care for the outcast. Great sorrow and judgment to all of you who remain locked in your gated communities, separated from anyone who doesn't fit the mold of your porcelain image. May no good come to you now or in the future. For you have received enough and you did not use it for the betterment of others around you. The words of Christ, they are radical. The words of Christ, they pierce the heart. God is calling us back. He is always reminding us that we must empty ourselves, turn away from the ways of the world, and then, only then, by God's grace, may we receive the fullness of blessings. God offers this to the marginalized. God offers this to the expendable. God offers this to those who are willing to receive it. Now these words, they may have caused hope to the hearers that considered themselves out on the outskirts of society. They may have felt a glimmer, a light at the end of the tunnel. There is something for me, someone sees me. But for those of us sitting in the pew this morning, we may feel like our feathers are a little ruffled. I might suggest that you might feel a little squirming from side to side. You might have to take off your jacket because you feel a little hot because you're uncomfortable. I'd say that's the Holy Spirit speaking if that happens to be you today. I've got my own moments of sweaty armpits because this is a little uncomfortable. For those of us who have, for those of us who have been given, we are called then to give, to give to others. Those of us who have received we in turn must give back. God wants us to see world, to see the world with a wider lens. He wants us to take this seriously. He wants us to live countercultural to that of which we see in this world. We are called as people of the kingdom to go against the grain of the world to ride against the tide, to be different, and to live a life that is uncomfortable. We are called to live a life in this kingdom. Verse 22 and 23 says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they revile you and defame you on the account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. I don't know about you, but I don't really feel like leaping for joy when I am hated. So often in my life, I have to check myself right here. My personality, it leads me to care a lot about what people think about me, often too much. 
I often put way too much pressure on myself to perform in a certain way because of how I think others will receive it. And that performance can come with many different names. How I dress, how knowledgeable I am about something, how organized my house is, how my kid behaves in public settings like here in the front of church, how I'm perceived by others has had a lot of control over my mind and my actions for many years. Even how my family is viewed often fits into the realm of how I feel I'm perceived and viewed. To this day, I need to seek the Lord in prayer and meet regularly with people who can end up speaking truth to me. Here in the Beatitudes, Jesus speaks truth against what people think and perceive you to be. He basically says what the world sees doesn't matter. Jesus is once again turning the societal norm upside down. He is reconfiguring the way of the world. Where you were once praised by society, praised by peers, praised by those who hold status, now, living as in the kingdom, you will be rejected. You will be looked down upon. You will be excluded. Having a high sense of self is the exact opposite of what is required in the life of the kingdom of heaven. I can't help but think of social media here when looking at this text. In today's society, much weight is put on what you post to social media. A photo is worth a thousand words. On social media, a photo is worth a thousand words, 200 likes or hearts, and 50 comments. How people perceive a photo that is posted or written, written status in one's life is not the whole truth. But so often, we think it is, don't we? They capture a glimpse into the life that we want to live, and they give a sparkly gold hue on what reality really is. I can't tell you the number of photos that I took when my son was under a year old. I would take monthly photos, seeing the progression of his growth. He is two months today. He is seven months today. He is nine months today. I probably took 25 pictures each month for that photo session. I wanted to make sure I got just the right photo, just the right moment where he's smiling. And after sharing that, I would wait being glued to my phone, waiting for the oohs and the ahs, the comments of, he's so cute, oh, look at him, how precious, sweet boy. And then I would take all the credit for it in my own mind. But hello, it wasn't really me if I actually thought about it. Abraham is the one that they're loving, not me. He is the one that's growing. And remember, Julia, about 20 minutes right before you took that photo, he puked all over you and you still smell like rotten milk. So to think that you're all that, mm-mm, mm-mm. Don't fool yourself. What is shown in the World Wide Web is not always what it is in reality. I'm sure at least some of you young parents can go ahead and relate to that as I was hearing some giggles. As we participate in the life of the kingdom, we are to no longer worry about these likes or these accolades that we get from others because truly, that is what the false prophets received. We are to be leery of leaning heavily on the praises of man and instead live life according to the praise of the heavenly Father. This life in the kingdom is far from anything understandable by those living and walking according to the culture of this world. The two ways of life, that of the kingdom 
and that of this world are complete polar opposites. Jesus announces this kingdom life as something for the here and the now. But for many, it's really difficult to follow because it means dropping everything, turning a complete 180, learning a new way of life. It means leaving friends, leaving family, and other important parts of who we once were. It means seeing others who normally would not have any worth as invaluable in the kingdom. It means giving up everything for the sake of something greater. It's going to mean keeping our eyes open and realizing that things are not always as they seem. It's going to mean that we live a life that's kind of upside down according to whom we encounter every day and the way they live life. It's going to mean that we may get some head shakings, some eye rollings, or even outright insults. We may be excluded from some hangouts of inner circles. We may be excluded at work. We may be excluded at some family gatherings. But we, what we must keep in mind here is that this world is temporary. The kingdom of heaven is what is eternal. Great is your reward when insult or rejection take place. The great reversal is not meant to be easy. Following Christ is not meant to be easy because it means doing the opposite of what society has always taught us. But the eternal reward is so much greater. Jesus is calling us to live into this great role reversal. We are called to live into the grand leveling of the playing field. We are called to sacrifice what once was considered a blessing in order to gain an even greater reward. We are called to this life of discipleship, to live according to the life of the kingdom. So the question, the question for us today and for the next upcoming weeks, is are you living in the culture of the kingdom of heaven? Are you walking with the teacher, following his commands? Are you walking with the teacher? Are, are you considered one of the blessed in the eyes of Lord? Are you considered blessed in his eyes or are you participating in the ways of the world, causing the Lord to say, woe is you. The life of the kingdom is difficult. It is nothing like that of the world. So we must actively be living in a close relationship with the Father in order to understand what is valuable and what is not valuable in the kingdom. This final song that we're gonna sing as we close and I have Aaron come, says, teach me your ways, O Lord. And I ask that that be your prayer for these upcoming weeks. As it is my prayer as I prepare these sermons, as I learn myself, teach me your way, O Lord. These words in this sermon given by the Father, spoken by the Son. They are so incredibly important for us. But they're not just words for us to hear and read, feel a little uncomfortable, and walk out of this sanctuary being the same. Instead, they are words of which we must obey. 
We must follow these commands without turning back so that we will become blessed in the eyes of the King of Kings, blessed in the eyes of the Lord of Lords, the God Almighty of whom we serve. Listen to or sing or pray these words with us. Stand with me as we sing. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. Your guiding grace afford. Teach me your way. Help me to walk aright. Or by faithless by sight, lead me in heavenly light. Teach me your way. When I am sad at heart, teach me your way. When earthly joys depart, Teach me your way In hours of loneliness In times of dire distress In failure or success Teach me your way When doubts and fears arise Teach me your way When storms o'erspread the skies Teach me your way Shine through the cloud and rain Through sorrow, toil and pain Lay down my pathway plain Teach me your As my life shall last, teach me your way. Wherever my lot is cast, teach me your way. Until the race is run, until the journey's done, until the crown is won. together. Gracious Jesus, we are grateful for your word which teaches us, and we pray that by your spirit you would speak, that you would encourage, that you would lead us moment by moment in the days that are ahead. Give us ears and hearts to hear, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Receive this benediction today. I often like to hold out my hands as a way of receiving that blessing. May you walk and live into the kingdom life, being blessed by the King of kings and Lord of lords. May you receive the greater reward because you have rejected the lesser. Go now and be people of the kingdom of heaven. You are dismissed. Go in peace. <laughs>